This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, a great show today. We've got Andre Pavlov, Professor of Finance and Real Estate at SFU BD School of Business. I'm super excited to have Andre back on the show. You know what? It's been a while since Andre has been on the show, and I think this is a prime opportunity to talk to him. First of all, you buried the lead. Jumbo interest, jumbo interest rate hike this morning. I think widely expected. So uh, the market potentially has already factored that in. Surging inflation. Surging inflation. And we talked about both of these things with Andre and where we're going from here and what it means not only for the global economy, the Canadian economy, the local economy, but of course, Vancouver real estate. And uh, it's funny, he starts off very optimistic, but... Uh, the show meanders. The, the show meanders. Exactly. And uh, it's, this is a great conversation. And I honestly, uh, and you know, I mean, I think I've said this on the show before, but Andre is one of my favorite guests to have on the program, partly because every time he's on the show, he's a super thoughtful guy, but also everything he says, he's got his thinking on the market kind of distilled in this way where it just seems like, of course, right? Yeah. I think a lot of the time people try and make things complicated when they don't necessarily have to be. Right. And the other thing, and I feel like there's a bunch of guests that we have on all the time, but, you know, from global economy, war in Ukraine down to, you know, grain prices on the prairies right. uh, to whatever the local market in Dunbar, like Andre can speak about anything. Sure. And I know like, yeah, grain prices on the prairies, you know, we've been barley's up on account of your... Uh, <laughs> Post. <laughs> it's been a it's been a on a, on a, been, on the basis been of a last stressful weekend. week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, we should talk about that because you've been in multiple still. You know, I think the well, I shouldn't say I don't know, but we, these are Vancouver specific city of Vancouver, city of Vancouver, a variety of price points, at least five six offers on things this week. Sure, you were in a multiple offers last week with eleven yep. offers. Eleven offers. It, it we feels, were successful. So two things seem to be happening here. One is. We've always said since the start of COVID, it's like, well, you know, what does this pullback look like in relation to the city of Vancouver when so many people went so far afield? Right. And and how does this kind of look when when the tide comes in? And it does seem like the city of Vancouver is still quite busy. But secondly, rate holds is mm -hmm. the thing that I think a lot of people are dealing with where, you know, if they don't get something, if they don't get into the market before their rate hold expires their carrying costs go up significantly. Right. And and a lot of people are kind of anxious to get in. We're launching, uh, I think we have three new listings coming just after Easter long weekend, which is this weekend. And uh, generally speaking, a lot of people I'm talking to are bringing product to market. So it'll kind of be interesting because this announcement, it just came out today. I think you're right. I think there's going to be this, you know, usually when there's an interest rate increase, there's a lot of these rate holds that are in place. Well, there'll be people looking at their payment. And Vancouver, like, let's face it, we are very much a payment-focused market. 
right? It's a carrying cost market. It's a carrying cost market, right? People break down what they have to pay each month and they see if that makes sense. And usually the purchase price is, is kind of secondary in a lot of ways. So this will be interesting to see when people look at what the new rate that they're going to be taking on versus the rate that they currently have in place. What kind of decisions are people going to make to get in last minute here? Definitely an interesting moment in the market, Adam. But uh, but as of right now, right. without any crystal balls in place, busy in the city of Vancouver. That's yeah. uh, that's for sure. Like <laughs> like I lost out on something last night with five offers. I went and saw something yesterday that was looking at offers as they come. Yep. And then they decided modify minute modify because there's such high interest, and that's happened. A number of listings I've looked at in the last couple of days here this week. Uh, that's happened. So. Interesting moment in the market for sure, but uh, maybe we should talk to Andre about this because obviously his take is uh, is always super interesting. This is a fascinating conversation with Professor Andre Pavlov. I love this episode and I'm, I think you will too. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Andre Pavlov, the professor of finance and real estate at SFU Beatty School of Business. How you doing, Andre? I'm doing great. Past guest fan favorite, Andre. You were even on a Vancouver Real Estate Live, the uh, the pre-COVID show. I miss those. <laughs> I know. I miss those too. I feel like those uh, should come back. But uh, you were a guest on Vancouver Real Estate Live. You've been on the show a bunch. So uh, yeah, welcome back. And uh, thanks so much for your yeah. time. I, I'm also just going to say one of the most, so many people reach out after your episodes. And I think we get a lot of former students of yours that listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, finally they're listening to me. After <laughs> that, uh, surely no one listens to me. During my classes, you know, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's great to hear that, and of course, great to be on the show again and and uh, talk to you. And yes, absolutely, we should start doing that in person as soon as possible. But here we are today, and and very much looking uh, forward to a, a nice discussion. Andre, for the listeners that don't know you, can you tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a, a professor of finance at the Beatty School of Business, and my primary research interest is uh, in real estate. And of course, uh, being in Vancouver, that 
kind of fits nicely with uh, with really pretty much the most important topic in the city and in the province, really. So this uh, this has allowed me to kind of really uh, think through what uh, issues we are facing in the housing market and and how was the kind of appropriate way to to I don't want to say fix them, but at least make progress uh, in the right direction. I, I don't know if this is a good launching point or not, but um, it's a broad it's a broad one. How's the global economy doing right now? Well, I think it's doing pretty well. It's uh, uh, clearly um, you know uh, most places around the world are recovering from from the pandemic, even though we do hear about lockdowns, new lockdowns in China. But other than that, you know, uh, the, the economy was um, recovering pretty much everywhere, and. Um, all the fiscal and, and monetary stimulus, meaning low interest rates and government spending uh, that was put in place during the pandemic as a response to the pandemic, is now making its way through the economy. And um, and this generates um, really very substantial demand for pretty much everything. The issues the global economy faces is really uh, on the supply side. So supply management and operations management used to be a a pretty boring field, like no one really uh, was excited about that. And now it has become the most important field uh, in business because it is so difficult to make anything or to get anything done quickly and efficiently and uh, and so on and so forth. So um, that, that's the struggle. We, we are struggling to produce much of anything. There is shortages and, and high prices for for many items. And as a result, we are, of course, facing um, very, very high inflation, both here at home and really uh, many other places around the world. So just thinking about supply chain issues and inflation, how long do you think that that takes to kind of get back to pre-pandemic levels? Is it an interest rate kind of problem as a, a central bank would kind of approach it, you know, monitoring that? Or is it a supply chain issue and, and kind of getting the efficiencies back in the system? And maybe yeah. that dichotomy is not not a smart one to make, but uh, I'll let you speak to it. Yeah, well, I mean, um, inflation is pretty easily defined. It is basically uh, the increasing prices of a basket of goods. And uh, so, so the definition, at least in theory, is very clear. Of course, in practice, Everything gets a little harder, but uh, at the end of the day, I think we agree on what inflation means. However, it's not that we can't agree, but there are many causes for price increases. And uh, the typical cause historically has been just the economy is overheating. Uh, there's, uh, you know, people are making money uh, and spending money. And as a result, there's too much demand for goods. And then uh, businesses are producing more goods, which generates even further demand for labor. So wages go up. And it's um, it's a cycle which is, you know, pretty healthy cycle other than if it gets out of control, then prices start to rise too much. And that's where the government can, um, the central banks can come in and, and increase interest rates to, to slow that cycle down a little bit so that uh, not to kill the economy. We still want the economy to, um, to be growing but not at a, at a huge rate that generates high price increases. So that's kind of our traditional understanding of, of um, inflation. The problem today is inflation is driven by other factors. So when it's obviously commodity prices um, are going up, they were going up quite fast before 
the war in Ukraine, and and of course now with the war, they they have gone up even higher. And then the other reason for the inflation we have today is that it is just hard to produce much of anything. So so the traditional supply chains are struggling, whether that's shipping or just the manufacturing part, but it is just difficult and and time-consuming to produce anything. And when you're in that situation, the concern is interest rates increases do not help. So if interest rate increase, that may slow down the local economy, but that has no impact on commodity prices. That's, uh, you know, the price of oil or wheat or metals um, isn't going to change because Canada raises interest rates. So then raising interest rates in, in this particular situation is is kind of tricky. It needs to be done to some extent to slow down local demand, but at the same time, it has limited power and limited effectiveness because at least some of the current inflation is caused by rising commodity prices and just the difficulty of producing much of anything. So what is the day today? We're on the, we're at April 12th, uh, just to timestamp this. Tomorrow, it sounds like at least I, I would say uh, at least 75% of people out there are, believe that the Bank of Canada is going to raise interest rates 50, 50 basis points. Is that aggressive in your mind or is that kind of the right move at this point? Well, I mean, when we have inflation of 4 or 5% and then 7% in the U.S., you know, half a percent increase from very, very low levels. And of course, we already had a, a 25 basis point increase. So together, that will be 75 basis point increase. This is substantial, but but relative to 4 or 5% inflation, and really, the real, in my view, the real inflation is actually higher than that. When you have such high inflation, 75 basis point increase from basically zero is, you know, it's not that much. It doesn't sound like a big number and it's not a big number. The reason Bank of Canada is cautious and um, I think they, you know, they'll keep increasing rates, but not we're not going to see 2% or 3% or anything like that. The reason we're not going to see that is, as I mentioned already, much of the inflation today is caused by high commodity prices and just inability to produce many items. So then when you're in that situation, you don't want to raise interest rates too, too, too much because that's not going to help control prices, but that's going to cause real pain for local businesses and consumers. And so normally when you have inflation, you know, people are okay because there's a lot of jobs and the economy is growing and everyone is making money. But when when the inflation is due to commodity prices uh, or, or just inability to produce anything or to get inventory, then no one's really able to make very much money, but prices still rise. So if on top of that you add interest rate increases and higher loan payments, mortgage payments, all of that, that just increases the pain for everyone, but doesn't really help control inflation. So I think we're going to see the 50 basis points and, and probably a little more after that, but it's still going to be limited because the effectiveness of interest rate increases in this environment is limited. So Andre, what in your mind how do we get out of this? It sounds like at least, and I, from our past conversations, I know government intervention is is probably not the way you're uh, perceiving this, but other tools in the toolbox here for dealing with kind of massive supply, global supply chain issues and global uncertainty and I guess war in, in Ukraine that is leading to these high commodity 
prices. What else can we do? Is it just a holding pattern at this point, waiting for things to kind of work their way through the system and, and get back to kind of pre-COVID levels? I don't think so at all. I think this actually presents a, a real opportunity for Canada to bring production back home and, and really start making things right here at home um, in, in BC and in Vancouver and, and certainly elsewhere in Canada. So, so bring production back home with all the jobs and, and opportunities that provides. And, and what we need to do um, to, to do to make that happen is the government needs to get out of the way. We need to uh, reduce regulation and red tape and not a little bit on the margin. We need to go through every single uh, form and every single regulation out there and assess whether it's absolutely, truly essential or not. And with the aim of cutting half um, or more. So we need to make it much, much easier to, to start and run a business in Canada and especially in BC. And then uh, we also need to simplify and lower our taxes. So uh, some tax rates, business tax rates for small businesses sound low. For large businesses, they're higher. We need to simplify all of that and uh, really substantially lower taxes so that uh, we can bring back manufacturing. Now, there are some sectors uh, like textiles that require a lot of um, labor. We're not going to be able to compete in those sectors because obviously there's um, cheaper labor elsewhere and then that manufacturing will always go there. But uh, there are a whole bunch of sectors and more so nowadays than in the past that require very little labor and, and very, especially very little unskilled labor. So there is no reason why Canada could not have that kind of manufacturing. So take pharmaceuticals, for example. There's no reason why we were not producing any vaccines. Vaccines do not require a lot of labor. So the only reason we had no vaccine production at all was we have made it so difficult to run a business in Canada that anyone who can produce whatever they're producing elsewhere will choose to go elsewhere. So reverse that, uh, reduce regulation, red tape, lower taxes, and simplify them so that it is easier for all businesses to actually produce things at home. So this will not only help with the supply issues, but will also help generate jobs and incomes for the broad population. And then even if we have inflation because of commodity prices or global forces, that's okay because our local incomes are going to grow at least at that rate or hopefully faster. Very interesting. So in many ways, Canada could be a beneficiary of, of the global uncertainty and if the country makes the right decisions. Are, are there certain provinces that you think could really stand to benefit? And I'm thinking specifically of maybe oil in Alberta or, or grain potentially in the prairies. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Those stand out and, and Canada can, you know, having the what second or third largest oil reserves and then obviously huge amount of land, we can really step in and, and replace other producers with, um, you know, without the political uncertainty that, uh, that uh, other countries have. So it's a real opportunity. And also, there is a ton of opportunity right here in BC. You don't have to be in the resource industry to see that we have a lot going for us. We have educated workforce. We have relative stability, safety, uh, reasonable infrastructure, not great, but reasonable. 
uh, and and we have some institutions that are not working perfectly, but you know they're they're still um, sort of better than many other countries. So you put all of this together, there is a lot of production that can happen right here at home. And and by production, I don't mean just uh, you know making furniture and and you know cars, but but also the high tech sector, the pharmaceutical sector, fantastic industries that really don't require very many resources but add um, a huge value to the economy. So I guess, Andre, we've been speaking pretty broadly so far, maybe bringing it back to, to real estate. What in your mind does this all mean for, for Vancouver real estate? Well, obviously, um, real estate is hugely impacted by inflation and, and interest rates. So the way things are at the moment, inflation is 4 or 5% interest rates on typical mortgage rates are uh, you know 3% you know I, i've seen them go up to about 4 now very recently but still below the the rate of inflation so that means if you have an asset and a real estate asset and then you hold on to it you're able to hold on to it for a while everyone expects that asset to appreciate at least at the rate of inflation it is really quite rare that real estate appreciates at a rate lower than inflation over over a five or ten year period. Uh, certainly not over ten ten year period. I don't think that has ever happened. So uh, the point is, when you have high inflation, your asset value goes up by more than uh, your mortgage payment, and uh, and so in in the sense of the the appreciation of your asset pays your mortgage so you're living in your home or or you're using your home uh, for free so that sounds really good um, at least in theory the issue is you have to hold on to your asset so if you're ever put in a situation where you can't make your mortgage payments in the interim in the medium term or in the short term if you just have liquidity issue then you you lose your asset and then inflation is of no help at all. So as long as you're able to maintain your mortgage and keep your property, inflation helps you and, and you're doing great. If if you can't, that's where you run into trouble. And but that can't part becomes more significant when interest rates are going up. And the reason that happens is that you know, if you have a mortgage that is, say, 10 times your income, 1% increase in mortgage rates means you have to pay, you have to have an increase in your income of 10%. Right? So for each 1%, you need to have 10% increase in your income if you're highly levered. If you're less levered, say four times, your mortgage is four times your income, then your income needs to go up by 4% for every 1% increase in inflation. So regardless of your leverage, obviously if you're highly levered, you're particularly exposed, your income needs to go up multiple times the rate of inflation in order for you to maintain your, um, to be able to service your loan. And sure, incomes are growing, but they are generally growing at the rate of inflation. They're not going two, three, four times or 10 times the rate of inflation. So that's where people can get into trouble. If if you're highly levered, meaning your mortgage is many times your income, like five, seven, ten times, which unfortunately is not unusual in Vancouver, then 
your priority is to be able to service your loan even at the new higher interest rates. And then you'll be fine. Five to 10 years from now, everything will be good. And in fact, you're going to be way ahead because your asset would have appreciated by a lot more than, than the mortgage payments you're making. But if you can service your asset and you're forced to sell or even worse default, then the inflation doesn't benefit you at all. Uh, you don't care that your asset value eventually goes up uh, because you no longer own the asset. So that's uh, that's the crux of the problem. And and Vancouver, as I said, is exposed because we're so over levered. Our, our mortgages are, you know, five, seven, ten times our income. So even even the 75 basis point total interest rate increase we're seeing now and we'll hopefully see tomorrow 50 and plus the 25 before even that is gonna affect people and then i'm just hoping everyone can still kind of hold on at least for a few years and then everything will be good so that's actually uh potentially a more dire situation than than i was expecting you to kind of outline here in terms of leverage in vancouver you're you're thinking this over the next say six to 18 months is is potentially a particularly difficult period. Yes, it is a difficult period if you're over-levered. And of course, that's going to affect buyers as well because, you know, I mean, it, it's really pretty simple math. If your mortgage is 10 times your income and the mortgage rate goes up by 1%, one percentage point, uh, you need a 10 percentage point increase in your income to be indifferent. Right, and and no one's getting ten percent increase in their income, even in this high inflationary environment. So, so then uh, what happens is, in the long run, you're fine because your asset price appreciates. But in the short run, you still have to make those mortgage payments. If you can't make the mortgage payment, the bank is going to be calling you and, and and trying to collect. And the fact that you can say, oh, you know what, I'll pay you and and more in ten years, that's not going to matter, right? So that's the, the issue. Now, 75 basis points is not quite as bad, right? We, we can probably handle that because people hopefully have some cushion and they can cut on other consumption in order to maintain their mortgage. But if we start, if we see, you know, one, one and a half percent mortgage rate increase, that's um, then uh, even with this high inflation, income growth is not going to be sufficient to make people indifferent, right, to, to make people equally uh, well off. So then we're in the risk of people not being able to buy. But more importantly, people who currently own, it's not clear how they're going to be able to make uh, those payments. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. So Andre, I'm just thinking about right now where definitely pockets of the lower mainland right now are softening. We're seeing some softening in, in other kind of tertiary markets uh, throughout the lower or throughout BC. It sounds like what you're saying then is that with inflation, real estate prices will continue to, to go up. But you're also saying that there's going to be some people that are potentially running into challenges, making their payments and, and forced to, to sell if they can't hang on. What do you think is going to happen with prices in the, in the short to midterm here? Yeah, so I'm being a typical economist. I realize that on one hand, on the other hand, making it completely useless. Uh, but Just tell but me what to do, Andre. <laughs> yes, yes, if I knew what to do. Um, but more seriously, I mean, that one, on one hand, on the other hand, it's really quite applicable here because on one hand, you want to own assets and you want to have leverage, you want to have debt because the debt payments are fixed and when inflation is high, those debt payments become easier and easier to make, right? Because you're paying back with inflated dollars. So you want to have that and you certainly want to have assets because those assets are going to be going up at least at the rate of inflation. So so you do want to do that. And, and that that's relatively little risk or almost no risk over a, a number of years. So if you can, if, you, if your horizon is five to 10 years, no problem. It's, it's difficult to see how you can mess that up. Where we run into trouble, the, the other hand now comes in, which is in the short run. You've got to make sure you are able to make those mortgage payments in the short run. And if you can do that somehow by, you know, finagling your, um, mortgage situation and being able to borrow more to make some of the payments, deferring some other consumption, deferring some renovations. If you can do any of that, it's great. Then you're clear. Then you can get past that, you know, five to 10 year uh, horizon and, and, and you're going to be in a very, very strong situation. So the, so the priority is, I guess, the lesson here is you buy as much real estate as you can and you borrow as much as you can. But just make sure that you can make your payments for the next two or three years. And if you can do that, I think you're going to be in a very strong situation. If you lose your asset in, in the next two to three years, then uh, obviously that would be a big mistake. Uh, and inflation isn't going to help you then. So borrow as much as you can, buy the biggest property or as many properties as you can. 
but make sure you can service that loan in the short run. So the primary risk management here should be on the first two to three years. Great advice. Andre, just a few questions here. Where are we at for, so I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about fixed rates at like 4% right now. In the next two to three years, it sounds like this is, in your mind, the rough patch when it comes to, to interest rates. I feel like we talked, and this was, I think, Tom Davidoff years ago, you know, the new, the new normal is a low interest rate environment was kind of for the, you know, for indefinitely. What is the new normal, say, three years from now for interest rates? Like, do we, do we kind of go through a period of rising interest rates here and kind of plateau? Or does it lead to a recession and interest rates drop again? What are your thoughts on kind of the new normal for where we get with interest rates? Well, as long as uh, central governments, Bank of Canada and and other central banks uh, don't overdo it with interest rates, then I think we're okay because the fundamentals in the economy are pretty strong other than the supply issues. So I'm hoping we get through that somehow. But otherwise, there is demand. People want to buy stuff. And uh, whatever we can produce, we can actually sell um, quite well. So the fundamentals are pretty strong and, and the economy can take on, uh, you know, maybe total of one, one and a half percent increase. If we do go higher than that, then we run uh, the risk of running into another recession, which, of course, would mean interest rates are going to go back to zero immediately. So hopefully it, it's very difficult. So it's easy for me to say, hopefully, you know, the central banks are going to get it right and not raise uh, rates too, too high to kill the economy. But uh, that uh, that is a very difficult problem. It's um, it's it's very tricky to to find the right balance between doing what you can to control inflation and uh, at the same time not killing the economy. So finding that uh, that path is is very very difficult, and chances are we're going to make a mistake on it just because it is so difficult to find the exact right balance. So probably we're going to overreact a little, and and but hopefully that will be detected quickly. And the moment there's any sign of weakness in the economy, we're going to act very fast to, to lower interest rates again. So um, unfortunately, the, the next, the new normal here is high volatility in interest rates. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the 50 basis points tomorrow and, and one or two more increases after that. But I also wouldn't be surprised if we see a drop in interest rates, you know, maybe uh, 12 to 18 months from now. So, uh, so high volatility in interest rates. And, and, and that's difficult for people and for businesses because it makes it harder to plan. So that, that volatility is not great, but I don't see another way around it. I, I, you know, obviously, if we figure out a way to do it 100% right, I assume we won't, but that's a very difficult problem. So we're going to make mistakes and then we're going to try to correct them and, and doing so introduces volatility in interest rates. Andre, it's just striking me that you sound fairly optimistic about the global economy right now. And why am I of, crying? And, and I don't know why Matt's <laughs> curled up in the fetal position right now, but I feel like the, I feel like there's a lot of chatter out there right now. Like there's, there seems to be a lot of like a pessimistic mood about the future of the, of, of the economy. Well, but even even this conversation, right? We started off with the global economy being we're doing really well, and, yeah. But the the tenor is is feels pessimistic. You know, I, I think also like that. There's been a few articles just just recently in you know the Financial Post yesterday, and 
other publications talking about people projecting a a recession in 2023 and and albeit a short recession but do you think there's there's credibility in those in those projections or or what are your thoughts on it well i'm optimistic about the economy because there's demand out there and uh, and i think for most business people the most important thing is to be able to sell your product and businesses are able to do that now I mean, you go to any store and you can see most things are just flying off the shelf, right? So on the demand side, the economy is doing very well. The issues are on the supply side that we can produce what we need to produce and get it to market. But people are smart. Uh, I'm optimistic that people are going to figure that part out. And in fact, we see some of that already happening. The the shortage in, in vehicles, for example, it seems to be alleviated now it's there's less of a shortage in for most vehicles well you know a few months ago there were long wait times like the simple van was like six to nine months wait so so the reason i'm optimistic is i think it's easier for businesses to figure out how to get products to market it, it takes time and the environment is very challenging right now more so than in the past but generally that's something businesses can do what I'm worried about is a situation where there's no demand, there's product, but no one wants to buy it. That's where, that's the kind of thing that is much more difficult to fix. So that's the source of my optimism. Um, as far as the recession predictions are concerned, that's correct. And there is a reason for that. But that's because people are afraid central banks are going to overreact. They're going to raise interest rates too fast. And then they're going to kill that uh, strong, robust demand that we have now. So that's what I was saying. If we get this right, we are not going to, well, I don't anticipate a recession, but it's difficult to get it right. And if we do overreact, then very well, we might get um, a recession. And But hopefully, if that happens, we're going to act fast enough to lower interest rates again and then hopefully get demand back up. Andre, it sounds like just going back to kind of advice in this type of, of in environment, which as I understood it was kind of leverages is use leverage to your advantage in a high inflationary environment, but just make sure you can make the payments. Two questions for you, I guess one, and this is thinking specifically about people looking to get into the market as investors. Would you be buying right now? And what happens to rents in this environment well, that's, uh, let me take the second one first, because it's an easy thing. Nothing happens to rents in Vancouver. There's I was going to say, no if we could under, take Sorry, yeah, I was yeah, just thinking it's so regulated, right? Yeah, it's, we're so undersupplied. I mean, meaning there's such a shortage of housing in Vancouver that it really will take like Armageddon to get rates, rental rates lower in Vancouver. It's just, it's just not going to happen. What we need is really to vastly increase our rental supply. Not five, ten thousand units. We need a hundred thousand units, maybe more, maybe five hundred thousand units. Uh, and then we might see some sort of uh, rental rate softening. Until that happens, and it's not gonna happen in the current political environment. There's just I mean we're we're so short on housing, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. So so rental rates I uh, you know I, I think there's there's very little chance or no chance at all they'll go down. And then remind me the first question, the difficult one. Uh, well, actually, I completely forgot that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, what what about in terms of 
in a high inflationary environment are I was actually thinking of it too in in terms of rents actually going up. Like do you see a a relationship between, you know, goods and services costing more and 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 where rents fall? And when I say fall, I mean not actually fall, but where right. where they're <laughs> not to confuse yeah, 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 I get it. That that's a good point. Normally, rents go up at, re- at least at the rate of inflation. As I said, what drives rents, what drives market rents in Vancouver is this housing shortage. So, uh, if we let rents fluctuate freely in the market, you know, they'll go up ten percent, maybe even twenty percent. So, yeah, inflation adds to that pressure. But uh, really, what's uh, What's determining rents is the the regulation, not the market forces. It's it's a highly controlled market, and you know by the way that's the cause, the primary cause for the supply shortages that we do have. But that's a separate topic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean maybe uh, rents on new units are going to go up faster than than uh, inflation, so faster than usual because of the high inflation. But we also have to think about the fact that people are now going to be paying higher mortgage rates or higher loan rates on any debt they have. And renters, even though they don't have a mortgage, they still probably have other debt. And um, so so that's one factor. And the fact that the price of all other goods like food and, and energy are going up so much, that means actually people who rent have less to spend on, on rents. So, so the market forces are not really all that conducive to, to large rent increases. But as we said, none of that matters in Vancouver because this is not a, a free market where rents are determined by demand and supply. They're determined largely by the government. And because of that, we have huge um, shortage of uh, rental properties. And then rents just go up as, as fast as they can. Anyway, so at the end of the day, inflation makes very little difference for that particular segment. And the first question was, would you buy right now? Yeah, so the question there is, presumably you have some sort of locked-in interest rate from two or three months ago that is expiring shortly. And the question is, do you buy now using that you know, pre-approval rate and that's locked-in and that's lower? Or do you wait a little bit, uh, say six months or a year, and hoping that prices uh, go down, uh, but then you're going to be paying higher interest rate? So it's a tricky decision. I don't know, because we, there's no guarantee that price will actually fall. If inflation remains high or increases even higher, prices may actually not fall. Even though interest rates are going up, inflation induces more people into the market because it makes buying an asset much more attractive, as we already discussed. So there's no guarantee that price will actually fall. So at the end of the day, uh, my thought would be, if you find a property that you like and you think you can stay in it for five to 10 years, great. And, you know, buy it and, and lock in your rate, your interest rate, and know that prices might fall in the next six to 12 months. But they might not. And that really shouldn't matter to you because your eye is focused on what happens five to ten years from now. If, uh, But don't just uh, jump in and buy something because your rate is just expiring. It has to be something that you like, a property that you like, and presumably you're going to live in it for 
for a number of years and be happy there. So if you can find that, great. If you can't, maybe wait and, and there is a reasonable chance prices might soften a little. And, and even if prices don't go down, at least there will be more product choice on the market. You know, just thinking about the way the the kind of sub areas or sub markets in, in the lower mainland, how, how real estate has played out since the start of COVID, you know, it, it seems like we've seen really high appreciation in, in the Langley's, Abbotsford's, Maple Ridge. And we've talked, you know, at length about uh, the kind of COVID impact on, on uh, Vancouver real estate. I'm just wondering in this, and I don't know if you have kind of a, a feel for the sub markets, Andre, but which areas do you think are going to be hurt worst by these rising interest rates and this, what could potentially be a market slowdown? Well, it's it, that's kind of an interesting question because it's not so much about an area, but more about the neighborhoods in which people are overextended. So the neighborhoods in which, especially recent buyers, have stretched themselves uh, are going to be affected the most because potentially those are the buyers, those are the re- recent homeowners that can run into trouble if interest rate increase substantially. Now, that data is difficult to get because... We know a lot about the property and we know even who the owner is and all that, but we don't know generally what type of mortgage they have. So it's difficult to determine that. But if there is any anecdotal um, evidence out there on on areas where people really overextended, that would be a, a red flag. Otherwise, during the pandemic, it has become really quite clear that people like to have space and uh and backyard and uh, really single-family homes are by far the preferred um, uh, choice. And the reason Abbotsford and Langley and all that are doing well is they still have some affordable, uh, well, I won't say affordable, but more reasonably priced single-family homes. It is very, very difficult to find a reasonable single-family home in Vancouver or, or you know, um, closer to Vancouver. So... Um, in terms of the markets that are going to do well, yeah, sure, there is going to be some migration back to the downtown and, and, and high-density areas. But I think people have discovered that then they really value um, you know, the single-family home setup quite a bit. And given that, sure, the pandemic is over, but really the coronavirus isn't. It's going to stay with us for a while, and we might have lockdowns in the future again, either because of this virus or another virus. Uh, I think most people would go, would try to get into um, a single family home or at least, you know, land oriented development rather than a, a condo, if, if at all possible. Great advice. Andre, I'm just thinking we've taken up a lot of your time and I know you have an appointment in the next few minutes here, but we do have that segment called the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions to end the show. Do you have time to stick around for that? Sure, sure, sure. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Question number one, what are you listening to these days, music-wise? <laughs> oh, music-wise. <laughs> 
Um, well, you know what? I got a free uh, Amazon Music thingy uh, on a service, and and somehow it has figured out how old I am and and uh, what was the music from my teenage years. So it selects music from my teenage years, which I love. Uh, but no one else in the household wants to listen to it, so I'm not going to even mention it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I kind of turned on some sort of auto select uh, something something, and 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 that is selecting, uh, you know, uh, rock and roll uh, stuff from like the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know. ACDC, Metallica, Scorpions, that kind of thing that I know no one else listens to, but I, I still love it. And, and it's so great to hear some that that I have known for many years. And, and especially if it's remastered, it's, it's a real treat. This is something you've been binge watching or a great movie you've seen lately. Well, you know, I watched, um, it's an old movie now, but I watched The Martian recently uh, with my kids. Because, um, you know, I kind of want to get them into the idea that by thinking through things and then using science, you can solve problems. Now, I don't really know if that's useful advice anymore these days, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> I still think it is. So, so, so there you go. A great movie with, with really very few actors when you think about it, but excellent actors. And um, but, the, but the main lesson there is, you use science and thinking and persistency, and then eventually you get the return. Uh, I mean, the Martian is about uh, an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars, but uh, and eventually he does make it back. And and I think that that lesson is was great and, and very enjoyable movie. And and that's Matt Damon, I think. Yes, right? it sounds like science fiction. It is a science fiction movie, but there's really very little about it that science fiction. It's it's all about determination and, and really using science to solve problems. I'm going to uh, have to watch that. One book, Andre, that you'd recommend our listeners pick up? Well, you know what? Uh, I have, well, other than the, the security analysis and, and derivatives valuation books that are, that are lying on, on my desk, <laughs> um, I, uh, I have really quite enjoyed uh, Jordan Peterson's second book, and, and the title escapes me. Uh, for the moment, but uh, if you're not familiar with uh, with him, he's uh, a psychology prophet at U of T. But, so he has this uh, first book, Twelve Rules of Life, which uh, it is what it is. In, in my view, that was a little bit uh, kind of one-sided. In the second book, which recently came out, I think it's a lot more nuanced and, and sort of he, he highlights many many contradictions in there. And uh, and I like that. I like to see uh, when uh, when ideas evolve and change, and 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 I put to to some sort of test and questioning. So so I quite enjoyed that. Okay, great. One belief, practice, or habit that has that you've adopted over the last three to five years that's improved your life. <laughs> um, Peloton. Is that uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, one. Yes, for sure. Except, um, you know, I'm, I'm very cheap, so I did not buy the machine. I bought the, the online subscription. Ah. Uh, so, so the joke my wife says is she's a Peloton wife, but didn't even get the machine. You know? <laughs> like the worst of all worlds. But more seriously, uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic, it, it became very clear 
to me that working out even a little bit every day is, is hugely important. So that's um, that's kind of my religion slash, uh, you know, practice. You know, I really try to do something even a little bit every day. I think that's uh, that's hugely important. Fantastic. I'm trying to think right now of an instructor that has Scorpions uh, songs <laughs> playing in the background. Most of them are hip-hop, but uh, anyways... <laughs> Um, yes, you don't want to drift off into uh, teenage memories during your workout either. I'm not right. sure. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. You know? <laughs> Stick to hip-hop for the workout. That's not <laughs> And la- last but not least, something under $1,500 you've purchased recently that uh, had a positive impact on your life. Apart from that subscription, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, well, I did... Um, for my birthday, I requested uh, the Lego Mindstorms uh, robot. Now that tells you what nerd I am, because you know <laughs> here I am, you know, uh, trying to solve all the world's problem, and and the, the one thing I can think of is the uh, the Lego robot. But you know, I I love it. Just the ability to with within you know five ten minutes to create something that the robot you know the robot can sense distance and color and that kind of stuff. And the fact is, it's expensive, but to buy that kind of technology, even like three or four years ago, would have been unthinkable. That would have been thousands of dollars worth of, uh, of uh, machinery. And and now it's a Lego robot that, you know, I mean, it's, as I said, it's expensive, but uh, but at the end of, not, not, not prohibitively so, at the end of the day. That evolution of technology is, is, is phenomenal, and I'm loving it. I'm spending every day some time on it and, and loving it. That's uh, It sounds like uh, your kids are getting a good STEM education for sure with uh, <laughs> with some of your with some of your interests. Uh, hopefully, they get some uh, '80s metal in there just to round things out. But uh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we appreciate your time today, Andre. And uh, how can people find out more about what you're up to? Well, I do have a website, but I think the easiest is to to uh, maybe follow me on Twitter. I try to tweet about once a day or once every two days. So uh, I think I'm pretty easy to find on Twitter. It's I think it's Andrei D. Pavlov or something like that. And, um, you know, so I tweet articles or retweet mostly what other people have tweeted, uh, the things that are appearing to me. And then in terms of research, I have um, a paper on uh, the impact of immigration on real estate prices. That's um, uh, with Sur Samuel. That's just coming out. Um, a new paper, and then uh, another recent paper again with Sur Samuel and, and Tom Davidoff on on the impact of laneway homes on on nearby properties. Right. And in general, the impact of of um, you know uh, of densification on nearby properties. And of course, now we're working on another paper in that same area. So yeah, lots of research papers. The problem is they take so long to actually get through the peer review process. By the time they eventually come out, you know, it's it's been years since we start. So it's hard to be persistent there. But yeah, so I have those three papers. One is published, one in the works, and one uh, brand new we're working on. Is, is the immigration one, is that one uh, accessible for people or is that something like that? Is a, it actually published at this point? Or? It's, uh, it's has not been peer-reviewed. It is, uh, it, it's a working paper. 
uh, we're just starting the peer review process. But yes, that is uh, that is available. I think it's publicly available because we submitted it to a conference. Now I can't tell you the link right now off the top of my head, but obviously something I'm happy to share. It is public now. Um, and that paper is um, uses data from uh, foreign buyer tax in 2016 and clearly shows that expensive homes, especially single-family homes, did experience a price decline following the, the introduction of the tax, but nobody else did. So condos um, uh, experienced no uh, impact at all and also Single-family homes in in other areas, uh, you know, lower-priced single-family homes also had no impact. So, uh, I mean, that, maybe that sounds quite obvious to you, but uh, but we document that very very carefully, and uh, and uh, the results are really very very conclusive. Interesting, huh? Maybe we'll have to have you back on, Andre. I know you have <laughs> a, an appointment here in t- a couple minutes, but uh, that that's a topic that would be really exciting to talk more about. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. Well, well, Andre, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, yeah, always a pleasure having you on the program. All right. Good to talk to you. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with past guest fan favorite Professor Andre Pavlov over at the BD School of Business at Simon Fraser University. I loved that conversation with Andre. It's always great having him on the show and can't wait to get him back in uh, Kokomo Studios, Matt. But before we actually had this episode recorded with Andre, I was telling you about how my daughter, who's she's almost three, she's been so excited about Encanto and she wants to watch it all the time. And then in the car, we've been just playing it over like the same three songs, like that surface pressure song is... I have listened to it like 300 times. We don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, that one. That's a big one. Anyway, she can like sit. She's like dancing in her car seat and she's super excited about it. I can't get these songs out of my head. And it's like almost to the point where it's driving me like really insane. This conversation with Andre woke up this morning whistling uh, Winds Winds of of Change. change. Winds of Change. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm I'm on a Scorpions kick. Well, you know, that's that's. That's useful, right? <laughs> because another thing we were talking about in the office yesterday that I woke up with in my head this morning that wasn't Winds of Change was uh, the Jive Bunny soundtrack. Oh, from, man. From, I think, the mid-90s. I had that on um, last night. Oh, my. That's a crazy thing that there there was this band, and I think this must have been the origin, but at some point, Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers, like they were just like, we're going to create these awesome parties with this old for, for time like music old remix boomers. Yeah. for old yeah and it's, and it is specifically old boomers because it's like all kind of fifties music right yeah like, come on baby yeah 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 it's all it's all yeah there's a lot of big bopper but the crazy thing about that is when we were listening to it yesterday too that would be a sh- a garbage party <laughs> like what kind of party. What kind of party would that be, right? Come it's on, like, everybody. I know. Come on, everybody. It's, it's like, no, leave tame. me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get up and dance. <laughs> That's a party I'm not going to. But uh, the other thing I was thinking of is like that came out at a time, and, and maybe it's the same now, but music was expensive to buy. Like, what were the royalties that they were paying for the, for that? Mix? Interesting. Like, yeah. I have no idea, but there's it's a mashup of like 50 hits. Yeah. A lot uh, of Elvis and, songs. And it's literally... There's not a lot of DJing. It's just like kind of yeah. mixing one song into the other, but it's pretty, they stay pretty true to the to the original. I'd like to see like how much did they make 
Jive Bunny from just taking and good how much songs did Elvis make? To, yeah, but you know what? The last thing I'll say about Jive Bunny and the Master <laughs> this is a conversation I could have for hours. I was uh, I played it for for again Ivy, my daughter. She loved it, and when I turned it off. She immediately wanted it back on. Yeah. I was like, holy, this is, uh, I, I thought I'd never listen to it I again. I was going to say you thought Encanto was bad. Yeah. No, I know. Now uh, now we got a new hit in the house. <laughs> Anyways, Matt, before we cut for the day, what do we got? What do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related. We have the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast we with sure Corey do. Wright. Great episode this week about scaling and how to scale in commercial real estate, which is worth a listen for sure. We have the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer where we have stats before anyone else. We got VIP access to pre-sales, residential and commercial. We got deal of the month. There's no reason you don't want to be on the Livewire. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You got sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips. Just sign up over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And you know what? PCS is great in any market, in a rising market. It's great to see where the prices are going and in a potentially shifting market. Totally. This is, if you want to know exactly what's going week, not even day by day in the market, PCS is, is the easiest way to do so. So that's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And I think that's it. Yeah, now I got it. some crappy music in my head. Yeah, exactly. Thanks to us. So do you, the listener. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. We'll be back next week. We've got another amazing show. Can't wait. And uh, man, this is shaping up to be a great year for podcasting. That is absolutely the case. If you want to talk about that or anything else, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Well, have a great week, guys, and we'll see you next time. Happy Easter. Faces for radio. Subscribe today.